0: Hi, and welcome to Soul Care Podcast. We are so glad you're here with us today. I'm Kimberly Willis. And I am Jinda Reinick. We are joined by our soul
1: care expert, Warren Lamb.
2: Hi, glad to be here.
1: We are here to talk about soul care, what it means, what it looks like, and the hope it can offer.
0: Our desire with this podcast is to offer hope for battling some of the greatest struggles we face as humans, and to do so with love, kindness, grace, and prayer. So
1: grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for this journey into the world of biblical soul care. Let's get started.
0: Well, hi, welcome to Soul Care. Today, we're going to be talking about addiction, and we have a guest speaker, Dr. Mark Shaw. Um, Dr. Mark Shaw, he is the founder of the Addiction Connection, a network of commissioned addictions biblical counselors. Um who offer the hope of the gospel for the heart of addiction. He is an author, a speaker, ordained minister, teacher of the word, and certified biblical counselor, ACBC, as well as certified alcohol and drug addiction consultant, CADAC2. His passion is speaking the truth in love and seeing the Holy Spirit transform lives through God's word. He is the author of more than 30 publications with addiction issues being being his primary area of expertise. The Addiction's Biblical Counseling Network of the Addiction Connection reaches across the United States and internationally. He also hosts a podcast, which is called the Addiction Connection Podcast. Well, wow. We are thrilled to have you. Yeah. Mark is
2: the guru of addiction, the addiction world when it comes to the biblical counseling world. He really is our go-to. So really, I was delighted when he said yes.
1: No pressure
3: there, Mark. Guru, wow, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 hear my bio, and I think, who is that guy? I mean, you know, I'm just a regular guy who who does all that. But I guess I'm busy. I don't
2: know.
1: <laughs> Sounds
2: like it. So we've been, what our goal has been is we've been doing a compare contrast with how the world approaches what the biblical soul care approach is, how we define and how we approach
1: those things. In the theme of compare and contrast, we usually try to start with a definition of how the world views addiction um, or a more clinical definition. And um, I know we typically look at the DSM and how they would define addiction. And I think when we looked at it previously, it falls under alcohol use disorder, correct? It's a rather lengthy definition, but if you were to boil it down, How would you summarize, I'll start with Warren, but how would you summarize alcohol use disorder from the DSM? Yeah,
2: it's a really interesting question because when we think of addiction in in the world that Mark and I serve, we think of addiction overall as an overarching idea. The bottom line is you get to the place where even though you know what you're doing is bad for you, you don't stop. You won't stop. Right now, they believe you're 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 it's compulsive that you really don't have any control over it. Right. So that's why they call it a disorder. A disorder you have no control over. Right. right. Of course, our view is it's not a disorder. You know, we use different language. I really want Mark to speak to that because he really is the best voice for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, Mark, how would you, in contrast? how would you explain just, you know, what the one part of it, I guess, is that we wouldn't look at it as just alcohol addiction. It would be addiction, right? Or how would you define it if you were to?
3: Yeah, the, I pulled up the clinical definition that I have and, you know, they, like Warren said, it's the medical, it's a medical condition. That's their first error. I mean, you know, with substance abuse and alcohol abuse, it, it does look medical, you know, and, and that's what they want you to believe. So that eliminates anybody who doesn't have a, uh, you know, a, a, an MD or is a nurse or something like that. Cause, and they use those words treatment and rehabilitation and, and all those kinds of medical words in this disorder and this disease world. They think of it as a disease. So that's their first error, you know, that it's a medical condition. We believe it's a spiritual condition. We definitely believe the body needs to be cared for. And we love physicians. We love, you know, having medical doctors speak into this and help us with some of the physical aspects. But um, it's a spiritual condition first. So their definition is medical condition characterized by an impaired ability to stop or control your alcohol use so they think you are impaired you can't do it um, you have this disease you can't help it and there's a sense of uh, powerlessness and Lack of control, all that kind of thing, and and like Warren said, you use despite the social, occupational, or health consequences. So that's the clinical definition, and just some of the errors, I guess, in that. So
1: yeah, and I think you know some of the contrasting that we do and in, in, or have at other topics talks about how the way that the world or the clinical definition reviews it it's almost like it's something that you could do a blood test on or a medical examination and you'd be able to get a report that shows oh yeah given the numbers that we're seeing given the chemical imbalances you know you clearly have addiction issues <laughs> um and so when you say the first error is that it's a medical um medical condition from our knowledge, there's nothing that supports that from a clear medical perspective, right? Like, there's not like, oh, I, I got the test; I'm an alcoholic in the medical world, right?
3: That's that's exactly right. I mean, it it it's assumed that they do these brain scans and your brain lights up, but your brain lights up whether you're eating a dessert or you're, you know, I mean, any kind of pleasurable thing, and so they attribute causal you know, reasons for that um, to things that that aren't causal. And, yeah, there's no, there's no real research behind it that says it is a disease. They used to say, when I first got started in the field a long time ago, they used to say it's like a disease, and then they changed it to now it is a brain disease. It is a brain disease. Even though they don't have the research, they don't have the backing behind that, to make that assertion but it's just kind of widely accepted now that that that's it but you're right there's no test or anything to to take to say you know I'm I've got this gene or this you know a genetic problem that they attribute it to and so we deal with it as a spiritual problem and and certainly there are effects that drugs you know they they impact your your brain and your body and your ability to think and we we get that um But this isn't you know something that um rewires your brain that That's what they say is the first time you use heroin, your brain is rewired, you're now changed forever, and you're always going to have this disease. It's hopeless, incurable, and fatal and And that's what they say about it. hopeless, incurable, and fatal. We don't believe that at all.
2: right well, you you pointed out something too, and we we talk about this often in what we do we have a tendency to look at uh, what's going on with, you know, neurobiologically and say, that's the effect of what's happening in the heart. And they say, no, it's the cause. So it's like, we're looking at the same subject through, like they have a set of lenses. that's backwards to the set of lenses that we're looking at it through. Right. That's right. So if, if, your, if your brain and your body are the cause, it would be hopeless because there is no lab test for that. It's not like diabetes. That's measurable. Blood sugar is measurable. What normal ranges are measurable, right? They can, they, can do, they can do blood tests to find out that you are drunk, <laughs> but not that you are a drunk.
1: Right. Well, okay. I can even I mean to to your point Mark about the causation of an addict can cause a lot of impairments. Uh, yeah, cirrhosis of the liver. Yes, that's that's something that ca- is a cause, right? From your addiction. But it doesn't it's not like it, and I, you mentioned even gene. That's another thing. Genetics come up all the time where people feel like this is just my propensity. Your propensity might be higher, right? Because you've been around it, but that doesn't mean you have that addiction gene in your body and you're you're born to be an addict and you will be an addict because your father was an addict your mother was an addict and that's something that people also it's like a they gravitate towards or their fallback right
0: when people say the propensity to be an addict because of a parent and it's gene related it's really what was modeled to them right as a way to cope would you say and then so you know whatever's like model to us as kids and then when we grow up and we're trying to cope with something because I try to say to some of my friends that I know who you know they're really into the 12-step program and they say I have a disease and they label themselves like that and so I always get curious and wonder I'm like oh okay well were your parents coping mechanisms or
3: yeah where do you escape to that's the you know what do you run to and I think when you're an unbeliever, for sure, you're looking for some kind of escape. And, you know, that's where people throw in self harm behaviors or, you know, cutting and that kind of thing. Um, anything you run to any kind of pleasurable thing, which self harm doesn't sound like it's pleasurable, but it, it ends up true that produce pleasure, you know, the, the endorphins and, and all that internal, uh, stuff. And so, yeah, people are what are they running to which is why we we call it drunkenness which what the bible calls it and idolatry when you get you know um so enslaved by it that it kind of identifies you it, it it's who you become um that level of sin to me is idolatry so yeah yeah it's um I I have a, a biblical definition that I use and um, just I, I have to read it. I don't have it memorized, but it says the persistent habitual thoughts, words and actions associated with excessive pleasure seeking. That way it kind of covers a lot of things. I mean, nowadays, addiction is a, a concept that's creeping and growing and, in, you know, and, and involving everything pretty much. I mean, people just use that for a lot of different things. And then the definition continues of excessive pleasure seeking, which are known by the user to be harmful and physically enslaving, sinful and willful choices to disobey God, whether they acknowledge that or not. So that's that's kind of my biblical redefinition. I have a, a biblical definition that I use and um, just, I, I have to read it. I don't have it memorized, but it says the persistent habitual thoughts words and actions associated with excessive pleasure seeking. That way it kind of covers a lot of things. I mean, nowadays, addiction is a, a concept that's creeping and growing and, in, you know, and in, in involving everything pretty much. I mean, people just use that for a lot of different things. And then the definition continues of excessive pleasure seeking, which are known by the user to be harmful and physically enslaving, sinful and willful. Choices to disobey God, whether they acknowledge that or not. So that's, that's kind of my biblical redefinition. And it's, I'm sure it's not perfect and falls a little bit short, but I, um, I like that habitual part because I think it's a, a learned thing like Kimberly was talking about. You know, you've, you've watched your parents and you've, you've grown up in this environment, but you know, it, it's the, it, it is something that, um, is is pleasurable i mean it it produces some kind of effect proverbs 23 talks about that and there are other places that talk about the pleasure of it is there's temporary pleasure but it's it's short and um and it's it's gonna when you turn yourself over to it you're going to end up uh disobeying god even in greater ways the attending sins with drunkenness you know with uh, sexual sin and the lying and deceit and all, all of that it's really just serving the god of self that's what idolatry is that's what sin is you know yeah. so and then it, it gets i think the the addiction part is then it takes hold of you and it, it grabs hold and the world would think of it as well anything that produces some kind of withdrawal um when i don't take the drug you know my body responds in a way that it doesn't like me not getting that drug after prolonged use well,
2: well so wouldn't that drive you to seek place yeah,
3: yeah, that's the vicious cycle
1: uh, yeah
3: yeah, yeah
2: you're it's
1: trying a- to stay in a in a state of um almost like a a state where you you can if if you're escaping an emotion right you're using something, whether it be alcohol or drugs or porn or you name it, you're addicted to something because it frees you mentally and emotionally from experiencing authentic life that you are trying to run from. So you want to continue to escape your reality, right?
3: Yeah. The um, the verse I think about is Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. So we'd all say, okay, yeah, there's times we isolate, we're seeking our own desire no problem there but then it says he breaks out against all sound judgment and, and that's the scary part and that's why God gave us the community of a local church you know and people that need to be involved in our lives you know pastors and shepherds and uh, trusted Christian friends is what I talk about in, in the heart of addiction and um, all, all of that is uh, by God's design we're meant to be interdependent we're we depend on other people, and that's the local church, the the new family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. Like you guys, are my brother and sisters in Christ. So, uh, what a joy to have family members, you know, that God gives us. And then uh, we're dependent upon God, so that relationship with Him is is most important. But we're never commanded in the Bible to be to live independently, and you know, in fact, we're warned against that in pro- places like Proverbs three, where you, You're not supposed to lean on your own understanding. You're supposed to depend on God and be interdependent upon each other and never to be independent on your own. And and when you are and you isolate too much, like Proverbs 18, one says, you're going to break out against all sound judgment. You're going to make decisions that even, you know, an unbeliever would say, wow, uh, that's a crazy decision. I can't believe he's doing that, or she's, you know, saying that, or, you know, whatever it may be. And what we would say is it really, those uh, breaking out against all sound judgments, usually a sin issue, you know, and, and I, I've been correcting my wife and I've been working on correcting when we say something, somebody is crazy. Oh, look at that crazy driver. No, they're being sinful. You know, it's a sinful driver. It's a selfish driver. And we're quick to blame crazy. Just like the world blames this addiction issue on a disease or a disorder or a brain disease, you know, and um, they're quick to blame that. We're looking at the heart and saying, no, we we live in a sinful, sin-cursed world. It's broken and fallen, and we're here to uh, help people to use that suffering and brokenness to look to Christ to be the answer, that, yeah. you know, and not, and not to run away from him. But to run to him.
1: We're in such a culture right now of a lack of ownership of our sin. I feel like you know, a lot of the, the culture right now is about accepting sin and normalizing it. And I feel like there, we see that at times in the church as well. Um, and it's it's a treacherous <laughs> path to be on, you know, it's because then it's kind of where we see ourselves where we can't just say someone is sinning they don't want to own the sin they don't want to acknowledge the sin you know and and to your point you know if if you're alone with your sin that's a scary place to be when you you know the as we think about someone who's maybe gone through I know Kimberly mentioned the you know a 12 step program and so when someone reaches you and um or you're I know you were part of it things that you're involved with. And so when someone enters into one of the programs or ministries or someone in your group with an addiction concern or issue, how are they, how do they usually find you guys? What have they done before to get to the point where they're like, okay, you know, I'm going to try something different.
3: Yeah. I think most people think that we get people First, (laughs) normally we get them on the back end. They've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. And so, okay, I'll try this God thing or, you know, Um, and our website, theaddictionconnection.org, we list residential programs and church non-residential programs. So outreach programs of, of churches. And we list those as well as our commissioned addictions, biblical counselors. We list those folks as well um because we want people to go to trusted biblical sources people who have a genuine approach to biblical counseling and and are going to talk about the responsibility you know rather than um shirking that i i just found out uh i i, I knew a little bit about this a few weeks ago but i just found out that a a, a guy in tennessee in prison he's so he's a prisoner because of the crimes he's committed He's been running a heart of addiction program in prison, and he's been doing it for five years. He's had 300 guys go through it. Mm-hmm. And I just found out that the parole board is, is requiring, not requiring, but strongly suggesting you need to go through the heart of addiction program because they test the guys a year or so after they finish the program. And they have an addiction program they call TCOM which has a 50 to 80% relapse rate. So they're tested a year later and they're testing positive for some kind of drug. This heart of addiction program that this guy runs teaches responsibility, teaches you know some of the, the, the differences we'll talk about in a minute, but um, he has a 6% relapse rate, six versus 50 to 80%. It is a while. Wow. And and I just kind of found out about they the the church preached the message Sunday. The, and even the pastor talked about it. And during their missions moment, they highlighted this ministry. And the guy they have four different ministries in that that uh prison. And one of them is they planted a church in there. So it was really neat to, to hear that. You know, that blesses me because they're using my book, which hopefully points to scripture. That's where the that's where the power is but they're using that to, to help these guys in prison and they're having a low relapse rate, which praise the Lord, you know? And even the parole board is recognizing it and saying, you need to, have you done the heart of addiction class yet? Have you done that? I mean, that that's really cool when the world recognizes something is different here. You know, they don't really know what, but we know what.
1: Yeah, yeah that's incredible.
2: That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a perfect, give, that's a perfect launch. Think about, so- a 12-step program, you know, lays out, and heart of addiction is remarkably different than a 12-step program, program, isn't it?
3: Yeah, the 12-step program is really trying to point people to a man-made way to God, you know, I mean, it, it really is about self, and at the end of the day, it's what I do, what can I do to Have the spiritual awakening? You know, that's the having had a spiritual awakening is the twelfth step. As a result of working these steps, well, my spiritual awakening came by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the work I put into twelve steps. And so it is kind of man-centered. And and steps sound good. I mean, we all like to follow steps to do things well, and you know, I I get that. That's the appeal. But um, there are other concepts too that are that are man-centered. And so the heart of addiction is trying to say, hey, this is something the Holy Spirit has to change in you by the power of the word of God. And, and God's word is not always flashy. You know, it's it's not the shiny thing that people are looking for. And so we're promoting his word, which seems mundane to people. But that's where the power is. We know it. Uh, it's foolishness to the world, but it's the, the power of, of God to us.
1: Well, and you just said something, like, as you talk about the differences between 12-step and your program, 12-step pro- focuses on self and behavioral modification, right? It doesn't necessarily, and yours is called heart of addiction, obviously, and, and you mentioned responsibility. So this it's, it sounds uncomfortable on <laughs> yours, right? Because it's asking people to, to, to really reflect and look at the responsibility they play in 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 their addiction. And I know we talk about Warren about that just proclaiming I'm an addict. You know, and that even differs for you, right,
0: Mark? More in your program that they're they um with God and the Holy Spirit that they're they're not captive anymore with the with their addiction or held in bondage. And they're set Amen. free.
3: Amen. Yeah. Yeah, this uh the program in Minnesota that I just visited is called To Be Free. And and that's the idea is that uh, we that's no longer our identity when you're in Christ. Your identity is in him, you're wearing his righteous robe and you are God sees you differently, you are different. Now I think people struggle with that some, you know, remembering that they're in Christ and and they can over condemn themselves and they can. Uh, we need de- need to feel conviction when we're in sin, you know, and and learn to grow and change and become like Christ, but um, not condemn ourselves and and be too hard on ourselves and and see ourselves as a child of the King. And and in counseling today. Uh I worked on those kinds of things with uh, two of my counselees today. And they don't have to walk around and say, hi, I'm Mark, I'm an alcoholic, or hi, I'm Mark, I'm an addict, or I'm a cocaine addict, or whatever it may be. The AA 12-step program teaches that. You know, you say that to remember that every day you need you need help. And that's that's you know, uh that's kind of who you are. You're an addict, don't deny it. Because denial's not just a river in Egypt, you know, don't deny that you're an addict. And that that's their, that's their thing. And so people run around saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. And, you know, when you're forgiven of your sins, you don't have to say, I'm a drunkard, I'm a, you know, I'm a whatever, I'm a child of the king.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference, obviously, from a 12-step to taking ownership and responsibility. What else would you, and obviously pointing more towards biblical scripture um, as part of your tools, right? And and is that a lot of what the bedrock is of the program and and how you work with someone who's dealing with addiction, mainly biblical, like pointing them back to God and and taking, and how exactly does responsibility come into play in in that?
0: And I want to piggyback with what Jenda is saying is, uh, or asking is so you know how in the 12-step program they they do create a community, right? And I know um I know some people who who still do 12-step have been doing it for 14 years. And what I find is, and you know, Warren even teaches this in his class, is um there is comfort, right? And and I'm coming like for one anothering in, in the world way. Right. So these people, they're like, Oh, someone can, someone under, cause people want to be understood. Oh, this, we, we have the same addiction. We're going through the same thing. Would you say in your program, how, how is that uh, we were speaking to earlier, how we need um, to be interdependent with each other and how does that, how does that work?
3: Yeah. The um the church, the local church is really, God's design for a support group <laughs> and really a disciple-making group. And um, and and when we say church, I think a lot of people think, oh, just a Sunday morning message, you know, a preacher, and I go to church and I go home and that's it. And I'll see you next Sunday. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical counseling, one-on-one or, or two-on-one. I do two counselors in every session, so two-on-one for our model at our church, and then small groups, you know, and we even have care groups that are specifically designed to help people when they're stuck in certain areas. So, um, yeah, I think people find in the 12 step program, a community of people, they would call it a spiritual fellowship. Those are their words and they would call it spiritual. They, in fact, I used to go to AA. And so I, I talk about my testimony, but I, um, openly now, but, um, used to go to meetings, and they would say, we in these AA meetings are spiritual, but you guys who go to church, you're religious. So you're religious people, kind of insinuating pharisaical. You're religious, and we're spiritual. And then in AA, you can talk about, you know, you're given a voice, so you're heard. You're for no matter what's going on, and and no matter what God you have, you're Your God could be the doorknob, the group, your own child, your, you know, anything. I mean, as long as it's a power greater than yourself, then, you know, that's the second step came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So it's not, you know, forgiving us of sin. It's restoring us to sanity because we took this drug, our brain got rewired and we need to be restored to sanity. We need to go back to the good person we were before drugs. And we know, biblically, we're born in sin. You may want to speak to that, Warren. I don't know. Well,
2: one of the things when we do, when a lot of our our ministry, it parallels what what Addiction Connection does. Actually, um have been blessed to be part of the Addiction Connection um, organization. It does come down to that that sense of, When you look at the I am, your identity, right, we talk about identity in Christ. If your identity is in anything else, it cannot hold you up. It's always going to fall apart. Doesn't matter what it is, right? Um, Because anything you build is going to be nothing but rickety if your foundation is not solid, right? So that's why we always start there. One of the things that the church collectively has done poorly is not been able to because i i i used to visit AA meetings so i would go to the meetings and i'd sit in and i get to, and i got to know the program pretty well one of the things that fascinated me i was pastoring a church at the same time and one of the things that fascinated me was um there was a guy that had been there one week been there the previous week and he gave his name and i'm an addict and you know i've been clean and sober for 11 years and 3 months or whatever right the following week, he comes back to the group and he says, "Hi, I'm so and so. I'm an addict, and I've been clean for four hours." And everybody said, "Welcome." Everybody said, "Welcome," and you could see the tears in his eyes. Right. Mm. That's the one thing that I've seen in that kind of environment that the church really could do better at, right? Mm. Again, a lot of times you have people that have never struggled in that way and don't know what to say. If somebody you know, says, yeah, I was doing really good for 11 years and then, man, I just tanked for four or five days, but I'm, I'm back, right? What do you do with that? And so that idea of one anothering that we talk about really is a key part of the body of Christ. Which I think we need to do a better job of discipling the body of Christ to be one anothering in that way, and it's not a matter of accepting someone's sin, but understand that they are a fallen sinner,
1: right?
2: Right, and they're going that they're going to falter.
1: And I just wrote that question down about whether or not, Marky, that you see that a lot of the people who come to you after, like you said, you're the last stop. Typically, you know, yeah. gone through. Maybe inpatient. Maybe they've even been in, you know, the uh, inpatient. Is that what it's called? Or in cl- inpatient. Yeah, inpatient. Twelve step programs, and they're like, "Hey, I'll, like you said, give God a chance." Do do you feel that you you see a lot of people that have been hurt by the church, and that's why, and, and that they come already with almost like God as a last resort because of spiritual abuse or spiritual pain or just been outcasted by the church because of some of the reasons that warren mentioned
3: yeah i mean you know when you have a spiritual fellowship that's what the 12 steps uh claim to be and you're going for help and you're being so well loved and received like like you just described warren um people respond to that especially when they have felt unwanted, unloved, rejected by the local church in whatever way. And, and to be fair, some churches are doing a great job of, of loving people and helping people. And, but a lot of them just don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They don't know what category to put this in and get away from me. You know, you're, you're dangerous and you might steal my wallet or my purse or, you know, I don't, I can't trust you. And, um, and, and it is sad the way the The church world has traditionally treated these folks, and so the idea is, I've been hurt and rejected, and so this spiritual group, you know, they're spiritual. We're churchgoers are religious, but they're spiritual, and they'll help me. And so, and, and in some ways, they are doing a better job than the local church, uh, you know. Unfortunately, which is why we're all doing what we're doing, you know, even yeah. talking right now it's, we're trying to call the local church to action. Like Warren said, teach people to be disciple makers. And to see this problem, not as a, I got to call a doctor. I got to get them into treatment or rehab. I mean, there may be some medical issues. Certainly we want a a physician's help, but there are spiritual issues that we can address, that we can help them when they're willing. And, And sometimes they need to go to a detox and clean up, dry out, you know, get get help for that cuz i mean alcohol withdrawal is actually more dangerous than even uh heroin withdrawal you know which is scary and you're sick but alcohol withdrawal they they don't know that they're uh dehydrated and and you know not feeling great and and they're more at risk to die with that than than even with heroin so yeah the local church you know is god's answer but we have not done a real good job of that um, to be, to be honest, but that's why we're doing what we do.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's shame on us because everyone has a sin Every, or many, we all have many, right. But we all, yeah. they're not always as outwardly um, apparent as other people's are. And so when we turn our shoulder on someone who has a strong addiction issue, you know, we're saying that their sin is worse than ours. And that's, that's not. That's not how we should be treating the church and the, and you know God's people either. So it is shame on us. And hopefully we can reach some people through this, you know, and put a calling on their hearts soon to, to help others as well. The way that you and Warren have invested your your careers and your life doing doing so. Um, I was curious because you know the responsibility factor and and as you talk about you know is is it literally kind of having those conversations and and do you guys go through a process of saying okay. Welcome. You don't have a disease; you have sin, and now it's time to take responsibility. Obviously, I'm sure it's not that direct, and it's probably not even in the first setting. But is that kind of the realization that people need to come to is through through your program, and that's how the the transformation can occur?
3: Yeah, the thinking of it as a disease, I think, does violence to the gospel. You know, the gospel tells us we're, we're sinners. And so when I think of my problem as a disease, a medical condition, then I don't really need Jesus for that. I mean, he can heal me and, uh, you know, so I need him in that sense, but I don't really need forgiveness of sin. You know, it's not a sin issue when when you approach it that way. So one of the quick things to do is to really, I mean, I, somebody I met with today, I remember just one of the initial meetings, I gave him some homework and some things to read and he came in and he goes, man, and he was at a church. He, w- he was just visiting our church. So he res- really wasn't hearing a lot of truth from the pulpit that he was going, you know, the church he was going to. But man, I had no idea. It's me. It's, it's, it's my choices. I, you know, I always thought it was the stressors, the externalities in life that were causing my problems and, and realizing that it's an internal heart desire problem. And so helping them to see that early on that uh, to me it's it's changing your belief system. They're believing lies. That's why they're running to, you know, broken cisterns. They're they're running to to false gods and and really all that is designed to please themselves and uh, helping replace that wrong belief system, the lies, putting those off and replacing those with new attitudes, a renewed mind that's believing truth and trusting god and walking by faith that's the key in all of this and and so yeah i mean addiction has the 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 worldly idea the clinical idea of addiction has permeated all of society i mean you talk about a foolish message i mean this sounds so foolish to people you know how would you be, why would you be so mean and and harsh to people who can't help it they have a disease and and so you're 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 fighting that at first you know and and trying to help them to see this is actually the loving truth God wants you to see that you're you're a sinner because he's provided the the solution the remedy in Jesus Christ and um yeah I mean that's that's the battle and and I really appreciate you Warren. I mean you're one of our CABCs and you're training counselors even with us and I really appreciate that because you're helping people to think about this even you know, even the counselors that come to us and want to be trained, they need help in a lot of areas, as you know, um, they need help in how they're thinking about the problem and how they're approaching it. And And we've got to approach it the way God says to approach it. So I really appreciate you and in, in all your service in, in the Addiction Connection.
2: I appreciate that. It's, um it was it was really fun to get involved because, I mean, Mark and I've been around each other and been in conferences and all this stuff and kind of, you know, um, his primary focus is in the addiction and that kind of stuff where it was substance type addiction and behavioral things. And mine on the other side is the, the character things and the, you know, we're talking about abuse and oppression and narcissism and all that stuff. But what's really interesting about that is there's a lot of overlap in those things because, like. You haven't heard any of the conversations that we've had prior to this recording this episode, but what you're talking about is underlying belief systems, those have to change and everybody lives their life based on their. We've had that conversation every episode so far. So it's a recurring theme that we keep, all of us that do what we do, keep coming back to. That really yeah. is the root of it.
1: It's those lies, walking in the lies and and the and, and that's so, I always feel like it's so... What do we always say, Warren? It's so easy to understand, but really hard to...
2: Well, it's simple to understand. It's oh. difficult.
1: Yeah, to... and, and a lot of that is because based on the age of someone who starts meeting with you, Mark, or you, Warren, even, they could have been walking in lies for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so to unpeel those lies and to start walking in the truths and God's word and the light is not an overnight process it's not quick it's going to take a it's going to take a long time and that's why it's it's a simple concept to to walk in your identity and to walk in the truth but man is it it's a hard process for sure hard
2: and i really think the real key though is like mark's approach mm-hmm. as you've been hearing him talk i think he's just very matter of fact this is what's true he's not demanding about it he's not insistent he's just laying it out there this is what's true You can accept it, reject it, whatever you're going to do with it, but I'm going to keep singing the same song, right? And I think that is one of the things that really helps make a difference is that that solid confidence, that comfortable confidence in this is true. I'm not going to give up on it. I'll continue to bring this. And you can do that, I think, has an enormous effect. When you're sitting across from someone,
1: absolutely, and being patient with them to understand, it's going to take you a while to get this concept. If we can get this initial concept of your identity and your who you are in Christ, the rest will come. But I'll patiently dispel the same message to you each week for as long as you need until you can really understand it, because it is going to take them some time. What were you going to say, Kimberly?
0: Oh, I was going to say I just wanted to talk about a little bit. You know, as the world when they're dealing with addiction, it comes down to, I'm in pain. I want to feel pleasure. So there's, you know, probably a lot of hurt in their past or something that they're not dealing with. And I just wanted to speak to, to ask you, Mark, how I think it's really great that taking the responsibility, but, you know, when we do have to face ourselves and humble ourselves to God, like how in your um, program, How did you help them heal through that wounding?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think you have to think about the suffering element. People are sufferers. You know, we've all suffered at the hands of someone else at some level, you know, different degrees, I'm sure, even the four of us, you know. And so the suffering part of it, it is real. I mean, I think Proverbs 23 Verses 29 through 35 is the to me the quintessential chap uh section of scripture that I go to because it, it talks about who has woe, who has sorrow, strife, complaining, wounds without cause, redness of eyes. And there are some physical implications there, but the spiritual implications are you know, there's recklessness, there's depression there's strife and loneliness that comes from when you have problems with people complaining and bitterness and you know when you're a complainer people don't want to be around you you know when you're a bitter person and then um, wounds without without cause is interesting that that's in verse 29 of chapter 23 in proverbs because sometimes people are hurting and that's what the it's just, you know, and, and like Warren mentioned early on is the that's a cycle, you know, and this proverb ends, it says a lot of things in, in the in the proverb, but the verse 35 says, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. So I found a place where I can escape
0: pain,
3: a safe place, a, a place of refuge, and they've run and that's what they're saying when they're drunk. And then it says at the end, when shall I awake? I must have another drink. So you talk about a cycle. It's right there, um, in, in the Bible, thousands of years ago. And, and, uh, there's just so much truth and, and helping God's word. And so I use that passage a lot. I lay it out with people and I kind of go through verse by verse and, and I try to help them to see that God wrote this about them and, and they, and the addicted people i've worked with because i this is alcohol but i think you know but it, it could talk about any drug i mean really it applies to anything um any of the drugs this connects people to god's word and they go wow he knows me and you know and this is my place of refuge and then i want them to know that he's gonna come build their faith and confidence i think every suffering every situation in life Is designed the suffering situation in life is designed to have us look to heaven, you know, and not to fall in love with this world and all the good stuff we experience and all the pleasure. We don't need to love this world or the things in this world. We need to look to heaven. And so if I see a dead squirrel, you immediately think, Oh, that's sad. Poor little squirrel. But then I also think, Okay, he's dead. Uh, That reminds me that this life is not my home and this God's going to redeem this world. And I need to look to heaven and I need to praise God that I may end up like the squirrel in in this life. I hope not. I'm hoping not crossing the street uh, like like he did. But I'm I'm hoping that um, I'm reminding myself that I'm I'm not going to uh, lose my soul. God's God's got me and I'm going to be with him forever. So every suffering moment, everything in life is meant to, to put my eyes back on Jesus where they belong. But the mm-hmm. suffering suffering elements, that's why people are typically coming in for counseling. They're suffering, they're having strife, they're having some kind of relational issue, and um, and people have used them and abused them, and it is so sad. Uh, and they found this safe place that the proverb talks about. But I want to help them to run to Jesus and to confront this stuff and learn forgiveness and and all those kinds of things that we teach in biblical counseling.
2: Yeah, yeah. We talk about soul care, and I think you're 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 capturing really well that it's more than just trying to help a person stop drinking. It's really about caring for the individual, not just in the moment. But for their eternity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things I appreciate the most about programs like the Addiction Connection and everybody that's involved. I remember going to the summit um, this last fall, and there were pe- I met all kinds of people there. That people, I mean, some of them I would seen on Facebook and stuff, but people I hadn't met, and the consistency. I mean. You, you got good old boys, you got guys with, who are, are uh, uh, you know, running um, post-secondary education organizations, you know, and you got, and there's consistency, but the number one thing it keeps coming back to, caring for people. It was just incredible. I It was an amazing experience for me to be with all of those different people having those conversations. I was just amazed at it. Um, And for me, I've been around biblical counseling world a long time. And in that particular, um, I don't know, that particular culture, I guess, of the addiction connection, I think the focus on caring is more solid. It's more consistent. It's, um, It's like the language, right? It's like the dialect, I guess, if you would, of the addiction connection.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. They they won't let me call it a party. They, they make me call it the summit, but it's really a party. Yeah,
2: I'm going back in August. So,
3: yes, I'm excited, and I, I want you teaching. And you know, it really is neat. Like you have got guys that look like they just got off their their Harley and their you know. Well, some,
2: and, of them and, and, some of them yeah. did. Some of them did. Dr. Harley. <laughs>
3: I mean, you've got a real cross section of people, and the, you know, it's people that are laying down their lives and, and like you said, caring for souls and, and giving up the comforts of this world to do that. And uh, it's a really, I always tell people, it's like these are the best people on the planet. I mean, I love uh, everybody that comes to this thing, and, and we do want to have an encouraging time. We want good teaching and, but then there's breakout sessions where you you discuss with other people um you know things that are going on best practices how do we how do we do this better what do you do in this situation and i think those built-in times of discussion are missing at some conferences that are just heavy on teaching and knowledge and and i like teaching and knowledge but i really want people to have an experience and and to make new friends you know that that's part of it so I jokingly call it a party, but it, but it is, you know, it's meant to be encouraging too. Yeah. yeah I developed,
2: you know, I had conversations with people that, like I said, I was familiar with who they were, but I'd never really gotten to sit across from them. And we just, there was just a bond that we all shared. And and what was interesting about it was the, the breakout sessions, you were the same group of people all throughout the whole thing. So you go to, you go to a, a, a plenary session, you, and then you, Go to the breakout session right and then or discussion group and you go to another workshop and then you go back to the discussion group and it's the same same group and you get to know each other and you and, you, and just the camaraderie just a sense of community was absolutely incredible um so along those lines because we're we're running up against our clock and i know it's after it's after your bedtime where you are <laughs> uh, so let's say somebody's listening who is who's a believer, not a trained biblical counselor, but somebody who's a believer that's saying, you know, there are people in my life that I would love to be able to help like this, or I would love to get help like from this myself. But if they're a believer and they say, or a pastor, or or someone says, I would like to become better equipped to do soul care for people, how would they get connected to the addiction connection and what would the process be like and what would they experience
3: well they just uh need to go to the website you know the and there are training classes uh that they can you know you you have to purchase it because we have to pay light bills and things like that so uh you but we try to make it very inexpensive if we can you know Um, and they do some of that training and then our process is meant to be relational. So it's, it's meant to be for the everyday guy or gal. Um, and we pair people up with two commissioners like you and, uh, me or you and a female. If it's a female, um, sometimes it's two ladies, but we try to, try to really pair people up with somebody who's doing a similar kind of thing uh in ministry and and train them we take them through 40 questions and and then do a final evaluation at the end but it's mainly verbal more than written because I when we started this one of our our key guys he learned to read when he was 37 and I just thought you know if I make it too academic and too you know I mean he he uh, he still mispronounces words and it's it's kind of funny but he, um, he he's just such a great guy. And and he's a guy you want counseling people. And I thought, you know, if we reject him because our process is too academic and too rigorous uh, in that way, then then we've failed. And so a lot of the people who uh, are doing addiction counseling were addicted at some point. I don't think you have to be an alcoholic to help an alcoholic. I don't even like the word alcoholic. But you don't have to be one to help one. I don't have to be a prostitute to help a prostitute because I've got God's word and And so I didn't want people to be eliminated because maybe they they aren't as inclined to write well and um, but there's some reading and there is some writing, but it's it's meant to be more of a verbal process. We really want to get to know them. I mean that's big to me as the relationships and getting to know people. And, um, and, and not just rubber stamp them, read a, read a test and okay, you passed. And who knows nowadays you can get tests, you can get the answers online. So I really want to know, can they counsel with excellence in the word of God? Do they, do they know the word of God? And are they growing in that we're all growing and then do they do it with grace? You know, can they speak the truth in love in a, in a kind, gracious way? Could they counsel somebody um, in, in those ways. So that's the that's the process of becoming a, a CABC, Commissioned Addictions Biblical Counselor. But there are courses on there, CEUs, short courses, things about the 12 steps that people don't know and some of the history uh, in, in that. And, and that's probably my favorite, CEU, is just to help people understand the subtle differences in 12-step program and the biblical approach to addiction. So yeah, so we um we we do that and you know we're praying about offering counseling through our ministry. Uh we haven't done that yet, but that's something we're talking about now. And addictions victorious is ending its ministry run of 36 years, and those programs are gonna fold into our ministry and, and be listed and be more places that. Uh, will offer help to the addicted, and and wow. so that's really an exciting. There's just a lot of exciting things. They did a movie about me, a documentary, which I was so scared, you know. <laughs> and uh, and other than me being in it, it's pretty good, you know. <laughs> no, it it. It's, <laughs> if I could delete myself, I would. But it it, it went well. We had an interview that they. It was really neat. I mean, um, there are a lot of aspects to it, but the main part of the movie is an interview that we had that I really when I when I was being interviewed by Scott, the guy in the movie, uh, I just knew and he knew something really special was happening. God was giving me words to say that I think we're casting the vision for what addiction counseling should be, you know, a biblical approach and it it went well and then they would cut away and do these scenes so i'm talking you hear my voice and then they're having people act out what i'm saying so it was really it was really That's kind really of cool. bizarre to watch that i i don't know that i've ever told anybody i'm i'm in a movie or you know or i i went to the premiere and i had to tell somebody yeah i'm going to a movie premiere about me and my approach and, and this program and this church, and it, it was wonderful, but a lot of good things happening. And, and it's really relationship driven, disciple making. That's what we want. We want a gentle, uh, kind voice, you know, and, and, and approach to this problem because it is like Kimberly talked about the suffering part of it. People are hurt and they're hurting and we want to meet them where they are and give them truth, you know, and not, not, we don't apologize for the truth. They need the truth. The truth is great. It's going to help them, but speaking the truth and love. So I appreciate you guys. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh- <laughs> yeah.
2: Mark, I really appreciate you doing this with us. Um, um, I mean, your brother, your co-laborer, um, but you're also a leader. Um, you know, the conference we did together and I talked about you and the others as thought leaders in the biblical counseling world you really are. So again, yeah. you being here is just an incredible blessing.
3: Well, likewise. Thank you. Thank you Thanks. guys. All, all of you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It's been really great. Yes. Thank you for listening to the soul care podcast. We pray this has been a blessing and an encouragement for you.
2: We want to leave you with four thoughts to reflect on. Is your identity in Christ or something else? How well do you understand the true nature and character of God? How much confidence do you have in who God is? And how does all of this impact what you are struggling with today?
1: If you desire to learn more, check out the show notes for more resources and information. And please don't forget, you matter to God.